Welcome to the visitors. It's good to see you all. I want to start by telling you a conversation I had with my son. But um, my son has this little book called Fruits of the Spirit. And so he brings it to me and he says, Dad, let's read this. So I said, that's great. So I'm reading it and the explanations they give are really quite fantastic. And then he says to me, it's, it's the worst one. He says, Dad, what's patience? <laughs> so I said, well, yeah, ask your grandfather. <laughs> yeah. So he says, what's patience? So I said, well, son, patience, and I, and I try to explain it in a way that it wasn't making sense. So I said, you know when sometimes daddy gets a little bit upset? So he goes, yeah. So I said, it's because I'm, I'm learning patience. And I said, you know sometimes when mommy... Uh, um, you know, you ask and then you whine and then you do, and, and she's just, she's okay. And he goes, yeah. So I said, well, mommy's more patient. And he's looking at me like, what? So I said, it's waiting. And he goes, oh. He says, waiting's hard. So I said, <laughs> I said, waiting is hard. I said, I, I'm not so good at it either. He taps my leg and he's like, don't worry, dad, we'll get better. That's what it's, <laughs> so, that's my son. So uh, thank you, Lord, for, for a son that knows, knows where I'm at, right? Wonderful. All right, let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for truth. I thank you for worship, Lord, that worship. I just thank you for just your presence. Lord, I thank you for the cross. I thank you that you've made us new. I thank you that you've set us free. I thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit, Lord, as a deposit, guaranteeing what's to come. I thank you that you will come back. I thank you that you are our husband. I thank you for community. I thank you that we can come together as families and worship an eternal king. Lord, I thank you for fun and laughter and for many people that have been on vacations. I thank you that it's all under your sky and in your heart. We love you. We bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. This afternoon, I almost said this morning, it's been a whole summer and I'm still doing that. But you've got to understand, when I say Sunday or this morning, I've been doing that since I was four years, five years old. My dad's been getting me to set up chairs, you know. So I've been doing Sundays and now it's Saturday, so I'm still adjusting. But this afternoon I wanted to speak with us about just where we are as a family, as I said last week. So this, this morning's not, it, I definitely will preach, as you all know. But it's family business and just where we're going, where we're at, what's happening and uh, just some information, so it's going to be a little bit all over the place. But I believe the family model is the best model when it comes to a church, because when I look at the government even in heaven, when I look at heaven, I see a father and a son, and that's a family. And uh, I read somewhere recently, I think I wrote it down, yeah, I did. God has called us to be in a covenantal family so that we can receive through inheritance what we would normally have to work for. And uh, I really loved that. I think it was Chris Vallotton that wrote that. It's just an absolute truth that we receive for inheritance what we'd have to work for because that's the nature of a son and that's the nature of a daughter. So, but God has given us a vision because we're going to talk about what has God said, what is he doing, and where are we going? So God is free life. He's given us a vision. He gave it to us last year. We, we preached into it for a whole summer, just encounter, equip, and engage. And we still, obviously, that's who we are. That's a little bit of who we are as free life. I believe with all my heart that we are called to live a lifestyle of an encounter. 
and I'm not talking just the power encounter, but everything from truth that is revealed in your, in your heart through your secret time with the Lord to conversations. It's a, it's a relational life with the Lord, which will have multiple different types of encounters, little watershed moments by yourself. It's a relational lifestyle, and that's why we say encounter, because I believe apart from the supernatural invading a human heart, we're lost. And it has to continue to invade a human heart. So we believe passionately in just encountering God, but also equipping. We believe in the equipping of the saints. The Bible says to equip the saints in Ephesians 4, for they shall do the work of the ministry. And let me just say, and I'm, I'm probably going to speak about this a little later, but my desire and my passion is to see a church that doesn't all just come to spectate and watch two gifts, this gift and that gift. I, friends, I don't see that in the Bible. I, I long for an expression, a church's expression. Now, it cannot all happen corporately. It cannot, we cannot all, one by one, we'll be here for weeks. But I long for a church where the body of Christ is being the body of Christ, and it's not just the celebration of one man's gift. Because we are all here, and it's not even about the gifts that you have. It's about Him. But we're all here, and he, we all have His Spirit, and His Spirit wants to express Himself through you. So we long to further equip the body of Christ. So when it comes to the ministry team, let me encourage you, whether I'm up here or not, because we have to continue to break this mindset of I want the guy to pray for me or I want that lady to pray for me. We have a ministry team that's going to be up here afterwards. If you want prayer, go to them. They've been trained by my mother and father, but more so by the Lord, and they're going to continue to be trained. But they're here every week. So we want to equip the people to do the work of the ministry and uh, then to engage. We also really, really passionately believe in engaging, firstly, each other, I believe with all my heart, and as I've said before, that the highest type of relationship that you can have is, you know, apart from family and marriage and so forth, between people is from believer to believer, because you are in a blood covenant as a family, and there's a level of engaging in covenantal relationship with one another. That's why so many people get hurt by church, because when the, the, the possibility of intimacy goes up because of a blood covenant, so does the possibility of, of hurt and pain. That's why your family, who you love the most, sometimes hurts you the most, because there's a covenant there. And so we believe engaging with each other, but also equipping people to engage with the world, to become love, as we've been saying, to become who you are in your identity so that you can love the world no matter how they treat you. So that's a little bit of who we are. That's a little bit of our vision. Many of you know that. But one of my greatest desires is to be a Christ-exalting church. Now, that sounds very churchy and very fancy, but Why? Jesus said, when I am lifted up, John 12, I read it this morning, when I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And friends, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3 that we are all epistles, us as Christians. We are epistles, letters, known and read by men. See, I believe one of the greatest ways to exalt Christ, or to, should I say, be a witness, is yes, to go and witness to someone. You know, I'm witnessing to you. I'm telling you about the gospel. Yes, that's, that's obvious. That's the Great Commission. But one of the greatest ways to witness is to let your life become a letter. That's what the Bible says. We are epistles. We are letters that other people read. And for your life, oh, look at that. That's impressive. Well done, Bex. Your life is an epistle known and read by all men. So when other people read and what they see is Christ, it goes beyond the reasoning mind. It goes beyond an intellectual discussion. When they see a person, it's not so much so that you can be good and that you can behave. Those are results of your relationship. But you are already righteous. You are already free from, you are, 
Jesus dealt with a sin issue and he's made you righteous. But when a person sees another person and that person is free, they're free from dealing with trauma the way other people deal with trauma. Actually, I wrote something down here. Um, where is it? When they're free from everything that seems to throw others into a whirlwind, into a panic. When they're free from a reaction because they are done wrong, so now they react. When they see someone else who doesn't live like that. When they're free from anxiety and stress that touches everyone. When the storms of life come, as we've been saying, uh, they weather the storm in a way. There might be real grief, grief, there might be real crisis, trauma, but they weather the storm in a way that is seeming impossible to everyone else. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 that when he, the, that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses. That word witness is the word martyr. So it's not just talking about those who died. It's not talking about martyrs. It's actually saying you will become like a letter. You will become a witness. And one of the greatest ways to witness is that you are becoming like a letter that other people read. They look at your life and they see Christ. They look at your life and your, your life is a letter that speaks about the cross, what happened on the cross, and the one who died on the cross. And, that's what, and that is a way to witness. It's a way to show what freedom can look like. It's a way to speak without speaking. And it's one of the greatest witnesses. And that's why Acts 2 says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. That word is to die, to martyr. And it's actually speaking about a spirit-empowered life. Because there's that old man that we've been speaking about, the person born under Adam, that has to die. And it's actually just called walking by the Spirit. When you walk by the Spirit, He empowers you to live the Christian life. And living the Christian life, all of a sudden, the true Christian life, you become free from everyone that's around you. You become free, truly true freedom, in a way that other people are not free. And your life becomes like a letter. And when people read your life, and people, they're just they're reading a letter. And it's speaking all about Jesus, and all about freedom, and what Jesus has done, and what He's paid for. And that is a witness that goes far beyond an intellectual discussion and then there's an argument. Hello? That's the gospel. And that's freedom. So what does it have to do with where we are? Well, it requires truth. It's walking in the Spirit. And truth, I believe some of the predominant truths that the church in this nation and around the world needs to truly get hold of again is who is God? Simply, who is God? His nature, His character, His person, who is He? How does God see you? That's the covenant you have with Him. How does God see you? Very important. And I wrote here, who are you? This side of the cross, that's your identity. These truths are absolutely vital. And I wrote, this life exalts Christ in a way, as I said, that goes beyond intellectualism. Because we are free, and thus Christ is exalted. I talked about a Christ-exalted church. And when Christ is exalted because people are free, they're becoming a witness. And Christ is exalted because people are free. People are reading like a letter. And the Bible says then, he will draw all men unto himself. Not unto free life church. Unto himself. I will draw men unto me. And so... One of the greatest ways you can become a witness is to become something, is to become love, is to be transformed and to have a renewed mind and to be transformed into the image of Christ. And all of a sudden, you look different from everyone around you. That's what the Bible says is walking by the Spirit. That's Spirit-filled living. Yes? Amen. So, why do I say that? When I talk about something, 
like where we are is FLC, where we are is Free Life. As you know, here we do not prescribe to church, to a competitive church, competition with other churches. We don't do that. And I wrote, or even consumerism, to do things and to try do all the programs and to do all the right things to make everyone happy so that they don't leave. That's not biblical. That's not leadership. It's just not. But I wrote here, that's not, um, that's not leadership, it's not biblical. However, we have to be aware of where we live. What do I mean by that? My desire is to, put, to take down as many obstacles that we can, so we just have to be aware of where we live. Because sometimes there's so many obstacles for people even just to come to church or hear the gospel, and we want to take down as many obstacles as we can so that people can come and hear the truth and hear the gospel. So, for example, sometimes a facility, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, a facility can be a hindrance. I found in the school, when we were in the school, it was a hindrance to some people. And we had to deal with that, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. Sometimes when people would come and realize we didn't really have a children's church, it was a hindrance. It was like a, an obstacle that blocked them. Or sometimes they'd hear we don't have a youth group. So it was like a, an obstacle and then they would just leave. So we do some of these things for the purpose that people can be set free so they can stay, hear the gospel, be free and become who God has called them to be. Very important to understand the motive. And we can say, well, they must be kingdom-minded. People don't arrive with a kingdom-minded belief system. People don't arrive with a kingdom-minded heart. They just don't. They come as they are. Yes? And if... if you know, if in the first world, if we don't have certain things, well, why would I stay? That's how they come. So we have to, yes, there's a kingdom, yes, there's a kingdom heart, and you guys should, I get all that. But we have to be aware of where we live. And we have to take down as many obstacles as we can and not throw up obstacles and offenses that people have to climb over just to hear the gospel. Amen? Agreed? Great. So, beginning of the year, I'm going to go back. As I said, we're going to get into Joshua chapter 3, but before we do that, I want to paint a picture, a little bit of what God's been doing over the year. Why? Because for many people, definitely not any of you, you guys are all amazing, definitely not anybody in this room, but for many people, uh, and I know it's true of me growing up in a church, they're not... You just come week by week, you go week by week, you see, that was great, that was a great message, that touched my heart while I was a little boring, I fell asleep, or whatever the case is. You go week by week, but not many people are paying attention because they, they're, not, they're not called to carry that, that's the leadership that, of what is God doing over the course of time. And sometimes we forget even three months ago, what was God doing here three months ago that's going to relate to that. So I want to just look a little bit at that. So at the beginning of the year, we started, and hopefully you guys remember, we started in the book of Joshua. Who remembers that? We spoke for, thank you, wonderful. We spoke for a whole month about the book of Joshua. We sensed in our hearts as a leadership team that this year would be a year of a lot of movement, a lot of shifting and changing. And we sensed that in our heart as a leadership team. So I preached through the first, I think, six or seven chapters of Joshua. And largely what we discussed was the fact that there's two generations the generation of Moses and the generation of Joshua. And they both came to the same place, what I called the impossible place, or the place where there has to be a pressing through, there has to be a crossing over. And the first generation came there, could not see with eyes of faith. 
And because they cannot see with eyes of faith, it's a tragic verse. The Bible says God told them to turn around and depart from the land of promise and face towards the Red Sea. In other words, they couldn't believe what God wanted to do, so that to, to turn around and only face what God had done. There was a constant reminder, God has done this, but we couldn't believe him to do it again. So now we are left to talk about what he's done, not what he's doing. Hello? The second generation comes along. Joshua, they've watched all their parents die in the desert. Second generation comes along, they stand in the same place. What I call the, the, the impossible place. But they could see with eyes of faith. So I believe some, sometimes a church or a person or a family or whatever the case may be will come to a place of crossing and they have two options. Do I turn back and go the other way because I'm not yet seeing what God's doing and I'm left to speak about what God has done? Or do I go and stand in the impossible place and stand there and trust God to pitch up and show up? Yes? Okay. That's what we discussed. Two options. During this time, if you remember... During the whole time I'll be talking about that, who remembers almost two years ago, I stood up back then at the school and I stood up and I said, I feel like God's told us to invest in the children. Who remembers that whole thing? Okay, many of most of you. I really feel like God said invest in the children. That was almost 18 months ago. So even though we're speaking about Joshua and what God wants to do, we also carry in our hearts things that God has already said. You cannot just hear God and say, oh, invest in the children. That's great preach on it, and then move on. That's not stewardship. So we were carrying in our heart the whole time what we believe what God wants to do with the children. So less than a year ago, we launched uh, children's ministry full-time, which was a big shift and a big change for us. It's a big shift, actually. It's been less than a year from, in a sense, nothing that was then to launching children's church full-time. We now have an entire, uh, entire team of leaders that are leading well, that are being well-equipped, that are in, they've formed a strong team, they have seconds and thirds and other people that are being equipped, and there's a, there's a flow in a sense of leadership being trained, and the children's church is truly flourishing. And today, I think today's the first day, it hasn't started today, but today we've started already discussions with other people about now expanding into a middle school group and that team, and Kerry specifically, but that team has it on their heart to expand and start to build a middle school group with another leadership and so forth and so on. Why? Because two years ago God said invest in the children, but it takes time. So often God will speak, and many people just going week to week to week, but the leadership are praying and fasting and chatting and discussing and meeting, what is God saying? What is God doing? How can we react? How can we do this? And the things just take time. But when you're faithful, and I'm not trying to just blow Kerry's boat, but when you're faithful as she's been, it starts to bear fruit and bear fruit. And we're seeing incredible things coming out of the young people. We really, really are. Because God said something two years ago. You tracking with me? Very, very, very important to understand that when God's trying to build something, because it's a generational gospel, he's trying to build something. He's trying to take us somewhere. And then from this place, we also had a lot of talk, and I know I'm going over the year, but it's important. We started at the beginning of the year as well with Joshua, but something that, that was two years ago, the Lord said, invest in the children. At the beginning of this year, God spoke through my wife, which he does more often than I like to admit. You know, when your wife's speaking to you, you're like, I now know that's the Lord, and now I have to listen. But God spoke through my wife, and we were speaking late at night, and I preached the whole thing into it, get your house in order. 
And the Lord said to me, get your house in order, get your house in order. And that's what we looked at with Joshua. It wasn't a rebuke. It was a start to frame. You know when you, when you build a house, you frame the rooms, right? Start to frame things because I want to do new things. I want to build little additions on the house. I want to expand and I want to do a new thing among you. So start to get the other things in order so that I can frame more rooms. And we spent time speaking about that. And because of that, we launched the new website to be more excellent. Because of that, we tightened up our administration and hired different people and had different things that were taking place. Because of that, we, we expanded the ability for people to be able to volunteer easily through a database, to get involved, to volunteer, to make it easy. We changed the way we communicate. It's not just so that we can become excellent. I'm really trying to show a kingdom heart. It's not just so that we can be good. It's not just so that we can be... It's to take excellence in what the king is asking us to do so that the gospel can be preached and all that stuff doesn't get in the way. So we started to put things in order. Now, out of that, as we all know, there was a deep cry in our hearts for a facility. And it's been a cry in our hearts for many years because at that point, I think it was 14 years we had been in a school. So we decided to pray and fast. I think that was about March, right? So we said, Lord, well, we're going to pray and fast into this facility thing because we need you to come through. We need you to act. So we prayed and fasted, and we said at 21 days to pray and fast. I think it was even before the fast had started, but it was, it was like Daniel. When you set your heart to fast, I answered. As we had set our hearts to fast and seek the Lord, the school came to us and said, listen, uh, we need to do uh, the whole summer. We need to do construction, so you guys have got to, you guys have got to get out. Nothing we did wrong, not a relational issue with the church, just practical life. So now we're praying for a facility, and we call it a prayer and fast, and the Lord says, well, the school says, out you go. So we're like, well, I'm glad we're fasting, because now what? So we, <laughs> yeah, so we started to fast, and we started to really pray. It's great, makes you pray. So we started to fast, we started to pray, and we got together as a leadership again, and we got together and we said, all right, what are we going to do? And someone prayed this prayer, and it just, it was such a spirit of God on it, and we all stood and prayed this. May there be one choice. Lord, do not give us multiple choices. Give us one choice. Close every other door, give us one option, because that's much easier. And that's exactly what happened. It's, don't pray that unless you mean it, because you're going to knock on a lot of doors, and it's just going to be no, no, no. And this is how we landed here. And it was during the prayer and fast. We landed here. This literally was the only option. We had to change the day and communicate that. And as you all know, we said we're going to come here for the summer, and then we're going to go back to the school. So that came out of the prayer and fast. But as time approached, I don't know why, because it was August 26th was, supposed to, was going to be our last meeting here. And uh, so as August 26th is coming closer and closer, in the whole time, we're speaking about identity and people's lives are changing. We've seen people really set free from the series that we've been doing, and it's just been wonderful. But in my heart as a leader, and in the leadership's hearts, as I've been trying to explain, it's not week to week. We're thinking August, August. In the administration office, it's August. What's going to happen in August? So we're thinking that. We're praying that. And my heart started to churn inside of me. And I don't know why, I'm just being very vulnerable and very real. 
something inside of me said, I just don't want to go back to the school. And I heard a lot about it here. Everyone's coming to me. Please, let's not go back to the school. The big hall, the setup, the 75,000 entrances, and all of those things. So, but <laughs> I, you know, I cannot be swayed by popular opinion. I've got to hear what he says. So I'm saying, all right, Lord, now what? And so I got to the Lord, fasted, and, and so forth. But my heart was so churning inside of me. And there's been many tears as I've just said, Lord, I know you want to take us somewhere. I know you want to take us somewhere. It's not about just so that we can have a building. It's not about this. It's not about so that we can be for the display of your splendor. And my heart started to churn within me, and I just didn't feel it was right to go back to the school. And, but that's great, but that doesn't help us. So we met as a leadership, and we kind of chatted about it. And I think uh, as of this week, there was probably, I think, 100% agreement uh, about what we're going to do. So I met with Chip, the pastor from this church. And uh, we had chatted, and I said, there was a lot of prayer and fasting. We did our due diligence. We looked around. We said, all right, Chip, could we stay? Could we stay either for two months or to the end of the year? Could we stay? Uh, because there's a lot of things that are happening behind the scenes and that are going on behind the scenes and situations that we as a leadership are watching that will take place between now and then. So we didn't feel it was right to go back to the school, but it's not our decision. So we've met with, uh, we met with Chip, and they met with the leadership, with, with his board, and I, he was, he's a very gracious man. I said, listen, I mean, uh, firstly, I'm asking you, and I said, I'm not trying to manipulate you, there's certain things that have taken place that have changed our position and what might happen in the future. So, could we stay? And, um, and I need to know within like 10 days. So, because <laughs> that was the beginning of August. This week is the last week I'm here. So I get to give this, and then I'm going on vacation for two weeks. So please address all your questions to Dwayne and Guy. <laughs> and uh, it's fantastic. It's really, uh, I'm telling you guys, it's a good plan. But, um, so we chatted with Chip, and he came back to me within 48 hours. And he said, there's 95% of our leadership. It doesn't mean that someone had a problem. It was probably someone was away. And they've let us stay here. So we're going to be staying here until December. Now, sorry, till the end of December. Saturday is not our long-term goal. Please understand that. It's not our long-term goal. But I believe if we go back to the school, there's something in my heart that just wouldn't be right. I cannot explain it. I just feel like we'd be going back. I've been reading Joshua. We're going to read it. We're still going to preach not very long, but we're going to read Joshua 3. And as we've been doing that, there was such an excitement in my heart. And why is there an excitement in my heart? There's an excitement in my heart because something happens in a person or in a church where there's nothing else but God. Something begins to take place. And at some point, in, us for, in order for us to cross over into something that we believe God has for us, there has to be a risk, but yet it cannot be presumption. And so there's been dreams, there's been prophets that have phoned, there's been many things that I could take an hour to, but I'm not here to try sell or convince. I'm asking you as a church to trust the leadership. I really am. Trust God first but I'm asking you to trust us. We're handling certain things. We're doing what we feel God has put in our hearts. I'm at peace about it, but I understand this is the first time you're hearing about it. Um, but we're going to stay here till December, the end of December. What we do from then on, we will let you know, because we do not yet know. 
But, but I think um, that's a large part of what I wanted to discuss. But there's an excitement about why I wrote you. We would rather come to the impossible situation. Why don't you turn to Joshua chapter 3. We would rather come to the impossible situation and go and stand in it than have to turn back and go back to the last thing God did because we couldn't take him at his word for what he wants to do. Amen? So, Joshua chapter 3. And I know it's probably a popular decision. I'm sure there's some who won't like it. Every decision you make, I remember when I first, as I was put into leadership when I was 21 years old, and uh, the guy who set me in place in South Africa, he said to me, so I have good news for you. So I said, what's that? He said, from today, every decision you make, some people love you, some people will hate you. So I said, thanks. He's like, yeah, welcome. But it's not about that. It's, Lord, what do you say? What do we feel you say? Because Billy Graham described faith like this. He was in a South American village, and he walked out of a hut, and he saw an old, old, you know, they get really old there. And he was really old, or he just looked really old. And Billy Graham said he was so old, and he was lying down on this, like, thing that he had built out of bamboo. And he said to the man, what are you doing? And the man said, I'm reclining. And the Lord said to him in his heart, that's faith. He said, because there was no part of his body that was holding up his weight, no foot on the ground. It was complete trust that something else was going to hold his weight. And that's where we are as a church. I've, we're all in. We've pushed our chips into the middle and we said, Lord, we're going to trust you. So let's go to Joshua chapter 3. I really believe we are here as a church. I'm just going to read and make some comments and then make some announcements and we'll be done. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel. Why is that important? They set out from where they were, the Acacia Grove would be for us the school, and they came to another place where they encamped there for three days. And I believe this is that place for us. This church, this facility, this is the place that we can encamp to see what God wants to do and where God wants to take us. But it's very important. He says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning. They set out from where they had been. And you know what? They set out from where they had been before with Moses. They set out from the place that they had been trapped at. From the place that they got stuck at before. And it says, And they came to the Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and they lodged there before they crossed over. So they moved to a different place, and they stayed there before they crossed over. So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, saying, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out. Firstly, it says, He and all the children of Israel. Friends, we go together. We have to go together. It doesn't Joshua and the Levites and the priests go there. All the, we all go together. It's a journey we all go on together. And then it says, uh, They commanded the people. And with the leadership, I said to the leadership on Wednesday, There's an agreement between us, which I'm so thankful for God for our leadership, I mean that. There's such joy and agreement, but there's an agreement, not only that we like each other, there has to be an agreement of where we're going and how we're going to get there. So that the voice that comes from the leadership sounds the same. It's one voice. It's not people running all over, well, I think this and I think it. And they, we have that in the church. But I'm asking you, as a people, have that in your hearts. Own this as well. If you're part of the church, it's something that is in your heart, that is in your inheritance, that has to do with you. So own it in your heart and have the same voice. If you have questions, obviously come and ask questions to do, ask whatever you want. But there's an ownership that begins to take place. It's not a spectator time. 
it's a time to, I'm in. I'm invested. I'll pray. I'll get involved. Why? Because this is your family. It's a family, it's a family model. It's a family business. Amen? So he says, when you see the ark and the priests and the Levites bearing it, very important. We know the ark. What does the ark stand for? Presence of God. When you see the presence of when you see God move, now we know that. But what struck me, he says, when you see the Levites and the priests bearing it. For everyone who's in any form of authority, specifically leadership in the church, because we're talking about the presence of God, people will follow you, people will, will listen, or people will follow what they see you carry, not what you say. He was saying to the, the you need to take up and bear the presence of God. The people will follow you after that. And it's not about making people follow, but people will follow what they see you carry with faith, not just what you command them and what you tell them. It's true of parents. It's true of teachers, business people. It's what you carry. That's what people follow. That's what people see. Then he says, for you have not... Actually, let me just go read it in the Bible better. They commanded the people, saying, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet there shall be a space between it, about 2,000 cubits by measure, that's half a mile. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go. Famous verse, for you have not passed this way before. Who's ever heard that verse preached on? We have not been this way, we have not passed that way before. Friends, this is what that feels like. I've had many people, young men, come to me and shake my hand in South Africa because it was a very famous verse. You know, we're with you. Take us where we've never been before. And I always wanted to say, do you know what that's like? It means you recognize nothing around you because you've never been there. And to go into a new place, to go into a land that you've never been in, to go away that you've never meet, been, means there's often no familiarity. And so sometimes when a church is going through a little bit of what we're going through, which is actually very exciting to me because... I operate that way. I love living in the place where God is you and me in prayer and let's go. That's, that's a journey. That's something I can get behind. But I know some people are not like that. But when, there's a, when you want to go to a new place that you've never been at before, say, God, let us go to a new place. Let us go to a new place. I've noticed practically what can often happen. Is you can have great meetings. The presence of God can come. It can be amazing. But inside sometimes there's a, still a sense of restlessness. There's a sense of Man, this was great, but this, I'm just not settled. It's because you're actually going to a new place. You're going to a new place, and you're not supposed to settle. And that's what it looks like. So this, what we're doing, we're coming for a summer. Now we're staying till December. This, that verse, this is what that looks like. But yet it's exciting, and yet it's a journey, because wherever we're going, God always takes you to more, not less. Yes? So we're saying, God, you've spoken. We're going to trust you. And is it a risk? Friends, it's a big risk. It's a big risk. But I believe it's God. So then he says this. Um, where are we? He says, And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Very interesting. I know I could speak on this for a long time. But friends, sanctify yourselves. What is that? That's speaking about what? Holiness. When you go on a journey, when you go on a new journey with the Lord, whether it's a lifestyle journey for you, whether you, God's trying to take you to a new place, whether God's giving you new revelation, or whether you're going on a journey as a church like we are, 
When you go on a journey, it's very important to have a part of you that you've set apart unto that journey. That's what sanctify, make yourself holy. That you have a part of you that you're saying, Lord, I'm going to also take, I'm going to own this. So I'm going to set myself apart to this task. I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to fast about this. I'm going to ask God about this. I want to go with this. I don't want to just spectate and follow. Okay, let's go. Let's, let's hope it works out. Friends, I'm, I'm asking you as your pastor, please don't have that heart. Don't just, well, let's just see. I hope it works out. I'm sure they know what they're doing. Please don't do that. I'd rather have you have questions and get upset than do that. But pray and fast, and, and, and you don't have to, you know, fast from here to December. That would be a great idea. No, you don't have to. Do but if you want to fast for a day, if you want to start to pray with your spouse or your wife to just say, Lord, show us where. How are we going to own that part of you? And there's a set apartness that comes for, in order for the body to go together. All right? Then he says, Then Joshua spoke to the priest, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and cross the, before the people. Very important verse, because the next one says, So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. Why is that so important? Do you think they would have responded to Moses like that? No. It's one of the major differences you see before Moses' generation and the Joshua generation. In Moses' generation, Moses would ask him to do something. They would just fight him, argue, complain. You know all the history of the Israelites. Here he says, hey, take up, the, take up the presence of God and cross before the people. He says, so they took up the presence of God and crossed before the people. That's a Joshua generation. That's a people that's prepared to go in and to take hold of. Very important. Let's go down to verse 8. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. Very important, and we'll end. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, when you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. Very important. Why? At this point, they've received how to, they've received what's going to happen, they've received all that kind of stuff, but had anything actually taken place? Had anything moved? Had anything shifted? Had anything happened? No. And he actually says later, he says, um, and, uh, it shall, it shall come to pass as soon as the soles of the feet of the priests who bear the ark, as soon as it touches the water. What is it saying? You have to walk up to the impossible situation. It's not to stand there and pray over the water. It's not to stand there and pray over and just... You have to actually walk up to it and stand in it. And when you choose to stand in it based on my word, and not before, then I will act. That's the kingdom. So we've come to an impossible situation. We want to remove as many obstacles as we can, as we grow and as we develop and as things move and programs start and there's life. We want to do that to take away obstacles so that people can come, so they can be excellence. Why? Not so that we can grow, so that people can be free and hear the gospel and that Jesus gets the reward of his suffering, which is people. So we want to do that. But there are times when you've got to go up to the impossible situation and stand in it, and you, you have no further, you just stand. The Bible says, once you've done all, to stand. So that's what we're doing. We've come to a crossing. We could go back to the school. I personally think that's, that would be too easy. But it would make sense if God hadn't spoken, but he has. So we're coming to the crossing, and we're saying, Lord, we're going to put our feet in the Jordan. We're going to stand in the river, and we're going to trust you. 
And that's what we're going to do, friends. That's really what we're going to do. And the Bible says, now it shall come to pass. That's what it says. It says, when they do that, then you can tell them, now it will come to pass. So, I believe Psalm 102, I think it is, says there's a set season that, that comes. There's a set season that comes. I believe with all my heart, and friends, please understand, I don't say this easy. I believe with all my heart that that set season is upon us. That it's time for us to stand, for us to believe, <laughs> and for us simply to stand. And to say, God, unless you act, unless you come, unless you do something, we don't know what's going to happen in the future, but we believe and we're in 100% agreement as a church, this is where we need to be for the next season. So that's what we're going to be. Now, other announcements as we go forward, just briefly. Francois, when he came, said, it's not just going to fall out of the sky. So we've launched an intercession team. That intercession team is going to be trained every Sunday morning, and we couldn't announce that beforehand because we hadn't made the announcement that we were going to stay. So we've been waiting to say that, but every Sunday morning for, from September 10th to August to October 1st, it's four Sundays, we're going to train that intercession team. We're going to equip. We're going to equip for the work of the ministry. For all of those who stood during the service, they want to be trained in intercession. Every Sunday morning, we'll send you the details. We also will be completing our identity school this week, which we've, been, which we've loved. But um, we will also, I want to ask us, in this season, I feel in my heart, for about the first 18 months, to more, more, just over two years actually, of, from when I took over the church, I felt like the Lord said, I want you to do most of the preaching. And so I've been doing a lot of the preaching, but I feel it's time to open the doors a little bit and to risk and to begin to bring others through and to begin to take opportunities. I felt like the Lord wanted to establish a little bit of who we were as, a, as free life, a little bit of a corporate identity, a little bit of a vision, uh, just some of the things God's saying, and to establish truth. And that's, that's the gift I have just to teach, to establish truth and who we are and where we're going and all of those kind of things. But I'm asking... As we start to bring up, we want to, we've got some people that we want to start to let them preach. Some have never preached. Some have preached. Can we embrace a culture of risk? Because what would a Pharisee do? What does the Pharisees do? It's a funny thing to me. Jesus is doing miracles, signs, wonders, and what do they do? And they're like, everything's going, and they're like, wrong day. I mean, there's always something. You know, there's, and that's a Pharisaical mindset. That's all great, but it was the wrong day. That's all great, but you shouldn't have worked like that. I mean, when we're going to open the doors and we're going to risk, and I'll tell you in more ways than one, but we want to get some preachers to come through. Why? Because part of equipping the body of Christ is bringing them through in the family. Just like you want your sons and daughters to grow up and to be developed. So when they preach, and if they go too long, or if it's only five minutes, or if it's whatever it is, friends, can we celebrate what they do right? There are people who will come alongside them and help them with the things they're not doing right. It's not you. So I encourage, I, I encourage you, go up to them, say, well done, that was great, you're growing, or whatever the case. A culture of encouragement, a culture of risk, where people, can, they're not afraid to try. Yeah? Can we, can we embrace that culture? Wonderful. With that culture, we're throwing out an invitation to anybody who wants to lead a home group. We've never done that before. Or a life group. 
We've always asked people or appointed certain people to have leaders. If you have it on your heart to lead a life group, please come and speak. Well, I'm not going to be here, but for the next two weeks, come and speak to one of the leaders. Come and speak to Michelle or Debbie who work in the office. Come and speak to us. Why? Because if you have it in your heart to lead a life group, we want to say go for it. It doesn't mean you have to have a teaching, do the thing, lead the thing, do the worship. You don't have to have a mini service. You might not be ready for that. But you might have it in your heart to just simply gather with some people and worship. You might have it in your heart to gather with some people and cook a meal for them and reach out to that neighbor. You might have it in your heart just to hang out with some people. If you want to do that, please let us know. We will be launching some more life groups after the summer, which will mostly be when we get back. We're going away, as I said, for two weeks, which we're very excited about. But we will be launching more life groups because church, churches in homes, is something that is at the core of the New Testament church, is meeting in homes. Yes, coming to the temple, in a sense, this but also meeting in homes. There are certain things that take place in a life group that cannot take place here. Real discipleship, real development, real investing in each other. And it doesn't matter if there's two or 20. Please don't see success as the world sees. I know this couple, sorry, and I'm sorry to bring them up. They've led many life groups over the years. They they went through a season when they led a life group, I think it was with like two people. But those two people now are shining because of that season of investment. So don't look at it that way. I encourage you. So, I think we'll stop there. 6.30. Friends, with all my heart, I trust you've heard my heart today. I know I've been all over the place. But I'm asking you to look with eyes of faith. And I'm asking you to trust we believe that we've heard God. I know I have. I'm at a peace. I really am at peace. It's not a long-term goal, but I believe there's a season, and God wants to act on our behalf in that season. So I'm asking you to come with us on this journey. I'm actually very excited to be here. I really, really am. And I think everyone who does all the work and the setting up and the worship, and the, they're all very excited because they, they, don't, they don't just arrive. They do everything. So they're all very excited. But it's not so, even so much about that. It's about how we go forward. And it's that we go forward as together. And it's that we go forward as one. It's that we have the same language. And then even as the intercession prayer, and then all of that starts to develop, and the life groups start to develop, it's that there's a sense of family that we go as a family. So that's where we are. I think that's, did I forget anything? Anything at all? Anything you guys can think of? If you have any questions, come speak to us.